Father, greater love has no one than this, that one should lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus has proved himself to be a great friend to us. He took us. We were sinners who hated you and who hated one another. And because of the great mercy and love that you showed us on the cross through the Lord Jesus and by his resurrection, you have transformed us into saints who love you and who love one another. So there's much to celebrate this morning. And we are so glad, Father, to have an opportunity to open your word this morning. We ask, Father, that as you always do, that you would help us. We confess to you our own inability to rightly grasp the things that we find in the Word and certainly our inability to apply them appropriately in our lives. We need your help with these things. We pray for them boldly. And we ask that as we leave this place this morning, our hearts would be stirred all the more to deep affection for Jesus, this great friend of sinners. We pray in his name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Today we'll be looking at the first half of the chapter, verses 1 through 20. For the sake of, of time, we'll read a shorter section here at the very beginning. We'll begin with verses 1 through 12. So, as is our, our practice here, would you stand with me and we'll read these words out of, out of honor for the Lord Jesus Christ and, and God the Father, the Holy Spirit, who have given us these words. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. You may be seated. Are you listening to me? 
a little early for that kind of admonition, isn't it? But you can tell by my tone of voice what I mean by that, right? Is your head engaged in what you're hearing? I know, I know everybody can hear sounds coming out of my mouth, but are you, are you listening? Is your mind engaged? Are you comprehending the words that I'm saying? That's what I mean when I, when I ask that question in the tone that I just did. But let me ask it another way. Are you listening to me? That, that says something a little bit different, doesn't it? it it's saying, are, are, are you not only just comprehending the words that I'm, I'm saying, but are you perceiving the significance of what I'm saying and feeling the necessity to act? In other words, is your heart engaged? We could, hear the, we could cons- characterize the first as hearing with the head, the second as hearing with the heart. And it's, it's quite possible to hear with the head and not with the heart. We, we do it all the time. We probably do that most of the time. You can't tell by looking at somebody which they're doing. It's, it's over time that it's revealed if they're listening with the head or the heart. And it's possible to hear the good news. To hear the good news, but not hear the good news. And that is an instructive thing for us to understand as disciple makers. It's also instructive for us as those who may be hearing the gospel for the first time this morning or hear it for the second or third time. We've not yet followed the Lord Jesus we need to understand that there's a different difference between hearing and hearing. We're coming out of a passage in chapter 3 where some people heard and others heard. Some people followed Jesus and others rejected. And in response to that rejection, now Jesus is teaching among the crowds exclusively in parables. And he explains why down in verse 11. If you look there with me again, he says, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, that is, hear with the head, but not understand, that is, hear with the heart, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, we'll talk more about those outside in just a moment. To those inside, those who have followed Jesus... It has been given to understand, to hear with the heart. And Jesus interprets the parable exclusively for those who are inside, indicating to us that this parable is not just intended to be a conundrum for everybody, but Jesus actually intends this to be instructive for those who have followed Him. He's intending to equip the, those insides, intending to equip us with this parable. He intends... For, for us to hear in the sense of understanding. And that's why he says at the beginning of this parable, listen. It's the same word here that we find at, after the parable where he says, anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. And what he means is, hey, this is important. Don't just have your head engaged, but listen with your heart. Understand the significance of what I'm saying and move to respond accordingly. Now, How is it that Jesus wants to equip those inside with this parable? Well, we've seen repeatedly that Jesus is calling people to follow Him and do what He does. What has Jesus been doing? He's been spreading the good news. So those who follow Him, they also are going to spread the good news. He's given the twelve this this admonition, this call already very explicitly. This parable is about someone who sows seed. Jesus wants those to 
those inside to know what to expect when they sow seed, when they're sowing the word or spreading the good news. And we could frame this whole message as an answer to one question. And that question is, what happens when the word is sown? When we're sharing the gospel with people, what happens? The good news is, it's a wonderful thing. It actually begins with some bad news. It's actually the worst news possible. And that is that all people are sinners. Because of their sin, they're estranged from God. That estrangement from God in sin results in eternal separation from God in hell. That's the worst news possible. But if we continue on in Jesus' message, we get to this really fantastic news, which is that God the Father, who is the judge, who brings wrath on the last day, this God is a God of love who's rich in mercy. And so He sent His Son to rescue man from that separation by living and dying in the place of sinners. So Jesus became for us in His life as a man, He became the perfect substitutionary atonement for our sin so that we might be forgiven and reconciled to God. And Jesus was proved victorious in that atonement by His resurrection from the dead three days later. And so the good news tells us that everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus, they are transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God forever. Now that is, that's the word, that's the good news in a nutshell. What is it that happens when that news, when that seed is sown? The sower scatters seeds on different types of soil, and each of these soils represents a different response to the Word. And, and all of them, all of them we're going to find, they hear, but not all of them hear. We're going to work our way through the parable. For the sake of time, we'll, we'll look at each soil, and then we'll jump immediately down to Jesus' interpretation of it later in the passage. So, first of all, we find that when the Word is sown, some outright reject. Some outright reject it. Look at verse 3 with me. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Now jump down to verse 14 where the Lord will begin to interpret that for us. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, that is hear with the head, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So, this is the person who has no interest at all in the good news. They hear it, but they do not hear it. It's, it's snatched away from, from their mind, and there's just outright immediate rejection. We could think of the scribes and the Pharisees as a great example of this kind of thing right here in the book of Mark and in the other Gospels. They, they heard the Gospel. They completely comprehended everything that Jesus said. How do we know that? Because they wanted to kill Him. If, if what Jesus was saying just gibberish to them, they wouldn't have wanted to kill Him. They might have even had some pity on Him. But no, they understood exactly what Jesus was claiming, and that is why they wanted to kill Him. They wanted nothing of Jesus and His kingdom. Another, a number of us have seen this kind of thing when we have shared the gospel. Some people just outright have no interest at all 
in the good news. They want nothing of Jesus. You can almost see their eyes glaze over as you're speaking to them the things of, of the Lord. Now, if we want to, to look at each of these soils and, and think, how should this inform our disciple-making? Well, here's one way that this, this soil should inform our disciple-making. That is that, that we should be careful to be very, be very clear. We should, we should some, some people think that when you, when you encounter somebody like this, you should just shake the dust off your feet. Anybody heard that kind of thing? Well, you should, you've heard that because it's in the Bible. And Jesus commands the disciples to do that. If, if, if they want nothing to do with this, you just shake the dust off of your feet. I would suggest to you that when Jesus said that, he'd have had a very specific context in mind. And that ought not be our first trigger that we pull when somebody says, I want nothing to do with Jesus. A better thing to do would be to pull back, pray intently for that person, and then come back and sow some more seed. We don't want to devote all of our energy to the people who are, who are resistant, but we don't want to give up on them either. In other words, we, we, could, we could boil all that down to, to say we should be wisely persistent. We should be wisely persistent. Now, what if you are that person who's hearing the gospel and you want nothing to do with Jesus? The application to you would be, look, do not delay. The, the enemy is poised and ready to snatch the, the good news away from you so that you will not come to the Lord Jesus. Time is of the essence. Do not wait. And if, you are, if you're that person, you've heard the good news and you have this morning, you really need to pay attention toward the end of this message when the Lord has more to say about those who resist the call to come to Him. So when the Word is, is sown, some outright reject. Others appear to follow, but they have no stomach for the cost. Others appear to follow, but they have no stomach for the cost. So now look back up with me at verse 5. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. So now we jump down to verse 16, and the Lord will interpret that for us. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, that is, hear with their head, immediately they receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now these folks, they, they hear and they appear to heed the word. They receive the good news immediately with joy, but they've got no stomach for the difficulty that is inherent in following Jesus. They've got no concept of denying self, picking up a cross, and following Him. So for them, all it takes is a little opposition from the world, and they will abandon Jesus completely. When I think of New Testament examples of this kind of thing, my mind is drawn to, to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. There we read, Many even of the authorities believed in Him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now there are actually numerous examples of this kind of soil in the Gospel of John. I would challenge you to read John and see if you can find the others. 
There is a cost to discipleship. You may, have, you may have heard it said before, salvation is free, but it will cost you everything. That is absolutely true. Forgiveness of sins is a gracious gift that you cannot earn. You cannot buy it for yourself. It could only be purchased for us by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But that free gift of forgiveness is wrapped up with a life of self-denial, carrying a cross, and following Jesus. As disciple makers, what should we glean from this, from this second soil? Well, we should be clear. We should be clear when we're sharing the good news. Specifically, we should be clear about the cost of following Christ. We lay down our lives completely when we follow Him. We should, we should not be like used car salesmen. Do you know what I mean by that? That is downplaying everything that might be negative to the hearer and playing up all of these benefits. Forgiven of sins. No more hell. Isn't this fantastic? We ought not be that way. We ought to put it all out there like Jesus did. When we, we, we put Jesus out there on Jesus' terms, then we can trust the Holy Spirit to move a person to say, yeah, that's exactly what I want. But we ought not be selling a used car to people when we're sharing the gospel. We should be very clear about what it looks like to follow Jesus. There's going to be trouble. But there's also going to be Jesus. So it makes it all worth it. That brings us to this next, to this next soil. Others appear to follow, but they find Christ wanting. They find Christ wanting. And that's just a good Puritan way of saying they think Jesus just isn't enough. He's just not enough. So look at verse 7. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and, it yielded, and, it, and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Now the Lord in, interprets that for us down in verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, hear it with their head, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in. Choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Now, as in the previous, the previous two cases, the word is heard. And here, just like the, 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 the immediately previous soil, you, you've got what looks to be like somebody following the Lord. But what happens? Well, here the Lord introduces this, this idea of fruitlessness. There's no grain produced. That's exactly why you sow seed. Nobody sows seed for exercise. You're looking for a harvest, right? You want each one of those seeds to multiply. And this, this, this metaphor of, of fruit or grain, what, what, would this, what would this represent in the life of a believer? Well, Jesus has been calling people to be His disciples, and we have seen that learning Christ, that is being His disciple, is transformational, and preparatory. It's, it's, it's changing us and it's, it's equipping us for work. So those who learn Christ, they become like Him and they do what He does. And this, this metaphor of fruit carries on through the New Testament and when, where we find it used, we find it referring to both of those things. Personal spiritual growth and making disciples. This is what fruit is in the life of somebody who has faith. We become like Jesus and we do what he, what he does. And so the believer is going to bear fruit 
in the, in, in the form of personal Christ-likeness and in the form of disciple-making. Seed multiplies. That's what, that's what God intends when He scatters this seed. But with this third soil, thorns, they, they choke that seed out so that there's no product at all. And the Lord indicates to us that these thorns represent three different things. The first is the cares of the world. And, and we could just characterize this as worldly pursuits prioritized over heavenly pursuits. Building and preserving earthly kingdoms rather than building the kingdom of God. Over investment in the temporary rather than the eternal. Cultural relevance over biblical faithfulness. When when these things prevent a person from, from being fruitful over time, there is reason to wonder if that person has, has truly heard the Word and heeded the Word, followed Christ. Secondly, the Lord tells us that the thorns represent the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Paul teaches in 1 Timothy 6. And the Lord Jesus here says that riches are deceitful, the deceitfulness of riches, which implies that riches are saying things to us. What is that that they say to us? Riches say, if you just have me, you will be satisfied and fulfilled. Jesus teaches the opposite, does He not? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness All these other things will be added to you. But those who fall for the deceitfulness of riches, they seek riches first, and they get none of the kingdom and righteousness. They bear no fruit at all. And they do not find the joy that they sought in riches. Thirdly, the thorns represent desires for other things. Desires for other things. And we could just slap a label on that and say, this is just a reference to idolatry. Anything and everything else is more important and more desirable than Jesus and His kingdom. And so with this kind of person, there's just constant chasing after everything but Jesus. And so what happens then is that they prove unfruitful, indicating that that they have not truly heard the Word. They're not growing in Christ-likeness over time, and they are not making disciples. Judas would be a great example of this kind of soil. He was one of the twelve. The Lord Jesus invested in him just like He did the other eleven. He had all of the revelation that anyone could ever want, but He sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And we we could speculate about his political motivations, but at the end of the day, Jesus on Jesus' terms was not more important to Judas than anything else. A person who is particularly vulnerable to these thorns is going to be the person who does not conceive of Jesus as the great prize of the gospel. If, if, If someone thinks of Jesus as a means to a greater end... They are all but doomed. Jesus is the means and the end. Otherwise, we've completely missed the good news. Remember how Jesus Himself defines eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God and the Son that He sent 
It's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. If you miss that, you miss it. You've missed the good news. Now, in light of that, how should we approach sowing the seed? Well, we should emphasize Jesus in our sharing the gospel. Emphasize Him. Forgiveness of sin, friends and and camaraderie with other believers, eternity in heaven, all great things. Not the ultimate prize of the gospel. Not at all. We need to emphasize Jesus. Forgiveness of sins, that's a means to an end. That's a means to the end of having Him. Having God in Christ forevermore. And so we should present Him as the great prize of the good news. Now, what if you are one of these people? You're hearing the gospel the first, second, third time, whatever, but you've not followed Him yet. How should you hear this soil and respond appropriately? Well, you need to understand that Jesus is the prize and you need to prize Him. Understand that this this life of discipleship, it is hard. Without without a, a, a deep love for and desire to have Him, you will not find it worth it. You just won't. But if you love Jesus and He's the prize, He's worth anything. Throw it all at me. Give me Jesus. I'll be just fine. These three soils, as we saw last week, they're really just, they're just different flavors of rejection. These aren't different kinds of believers. The second two soils are not different kinds of believers. They just haven't matured yet. No, all three of these first soils are different flavors of rejection. They have not followed Christ. As disciple makers, we just need to be prepared for this. Jesus is putting this in front of us and says, look, this, this is what happens sometimes. Approach your sowing of the seed accordingly. But there is a fourth soil, obviously, because we're sitting here, right? There's a fourth soil. Others truly follow and bear fruit. Others truly follow and bear fruit. And and that soil, Jesus tells us about that in in verse 8. So look at verse 8. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And now he, he gives us that interpretation which we can anticipate already in verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the Word. And, and I would suggest to you that, that here, right here, means here with the head again. And they accept it, hear it with the heart, and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So now, what, what do we have in common on all of these souls? They all comprehend it. The, the, the Gospel is not... When, when Paul writes that that the things of the Spirit cannot be discerned by, by those who are lost. He doesn't mean that it's literally gibberish. Like they can't put the concepts together. No, they get it. They get what we're saying. They don't want it. That, that's the person who only hears with their head. And, and, and everyone hears with their head. But in this case, the person hears and hears. That is, that is the, the, their heart has been opened to the significance of what they've heard, to its truthfulness and to the absolute necessity to act. And that, 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 that heart is like soil that wants to take that seed deep down so that it, can, that it can have strong roots. And it can be inferred from, from the previous soils that this person 
understands the cost of following Jesus and sees Him as the great prize of the good news. This person hears everything that it means to follow Jesus. And and, and when when we're faithfully sharing the good news, there's no false advertising. We kind of talked about this already before. We don't downplay the negatives and and play up the positives. It's actually all positive if if we're seeing through the eyes of faith. But when we're sharing the gospel faithfully, there's no false advertising. And so this fourth soil, when, when, when this person hears the good news with no false advertising, and again, they're hearing, you're dead in sin and, and separated from God. You're headed for hell. Your only hope is to turn from your wickedness and surrender to Christ in faith. If you do, the road ahead will be anything but easy. You'll suffer as much, if not more, than you would otherwise. Your life will no longer be your own. You'll be reconciled to the Father, and you will have Jesus forevermore, and you will become like Him, and you'll lead others to know Him. And this fourth soul says, sold! That's exactly what I want. That soul says, I want that whole thing. I want repentance and faith. I want freedom from sin. I want Christ as my master. I want to call the God of the universe Father. And I want the Spirit of Jesus living inside of me to convict me of sin and to help me serve others and to love well. I want Him to guide me. I want want all of this. I want to suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish if only I can have Jesus. I, I want... I want the mission of my life to be knowing Him and making Him known. I want to share in His sufferings. I want to to become like Him in His death that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection from the dead and be with Him forevermore. Everything that it means to follow Jesus, I want that. I want all of it. Sold. The outward indication of that heart is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. A person who is becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus does, making disciples. Now, this that we've seen about this fourth soul, how should that inform our disciple making? Well, we should expect fruit. We should expect fruit in the lives of those who make a profession of faith. And like the Lord, we should anticipate seeing change in that person. Now that change likely is going to take place slowly. And so we will be extremely patient with them as Jesus has been with us. And as we're going to see that Jesus is with, with these insiders in the text. Very patient with them, believing the best, but we will expect them to obey and make disciples. Now, what about the person who's hearing, who's hearing the Word, who's not yet followed Christ? How should they apply this? Well, they should understand that following Jesus does not mean continuing as we are, but growing in who He is and in doing what He does. That's the life of a disciple. If you would follow Jesus, then you should, as the New Testament teaches, strenuously pursue growth in His likeness and in making disciples. Now, we've, we've covered the, the parable here, and in the beginning, we very briefly touched on that, that short conversation that takes place between the parable and its interpretation. There's more to see in that, 
those, those intervening verses in that, that short conversation. Why is Jesus teaching in parables when He's among the crowds? Why is He doing this? Jesus answers that question in those verses, demonstrating that there's another thing that can happen when the Word is sown. When the Word is sown, many are hardened further. They're hardened further. So let's, let's go back now to verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom. Now we'll stop right there for, ju- for just a moment. To those inside, so, so we've, we've got Jesus addressing those inside, and then he's talking about those outside. And what that tells us is there's only two kinds of people. We've seen four soils, but those four soils can be separated into two kinds of people. And we saw this last week. There's many flavors of rejection. There are only two ways. That is continuing on the road of destruction or taking that crossroads and following Christ. Now to those inside, Jesus says, to you has been given the kingdom of God. To you has been given to understand the truth that the kingdom has come in Jesus Christ. And to you has been given to respond appropriately following Jesus in repentance and faith. Now here's something that that we can glean. It's a a bit subtle, but something that we can glean that we may find very encouraging here. and, And that is that Just having been given the secret of the kingdom does not mean that we've been given perfect understanding or that we will display stalwart faith. Now, how do we know that? We know that because of what Jesus says in verse 13. Look at verse 13 with me. And and he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So here... Jesus gently chastises the disciples for their lack of understanding. He's going to do this numerous other times. And later on, He's also going to gently chastise them for their weak faith. Why chastise them? Because he clearly, He wants them to grow in maturity, in their understanding and faith. But we also see in this text that Jesus is incredibly patient and accommodating. And that's demonstrated by the fact that after saying, after asking this question, you, you don't understand this parable? Well, then he goes on to explain it to them. And, and that's, that's just the norm from here on out. If we look down to verse 34, it says that he privately explained all the parables to them. So when Jesus asks, how then will you understand all the parables? Well, we could understand, well, Jesus is going to explain it to them. That's how they're going to understand. They, they need him. And all, all, all of this that, that, we've, that we've just gleaned here, just from verses 10 through 13, very briefly as Jesus interacts with those inside, we can, we can glean three things. Three things. The first is that the fourth soil in the parable does not represent perfect maturity. It does not represent perfect maturity. Even in the life of a true disciple, like 11 of these 12 that Jesus is talking to, there will be failures of, of understanding. There will be weak faith. We see that in these brothers. So the, the fourth soil does not indicate that the evidence of salvation is perfect maturity. You find that comforting? I do. The so, second thing that we glean is that while the first thing is true, the second thing is that there is an expectation of growth in the Christian life. There is an expectation of increasing fruitfulness. 
So while, while there's not going to be perfection in this life, there should be growth. Over, t- over time, a person is going to become more like Jesus and is going to do what he does if they have genuine faith. A third thing that we can glean from Jesus' interaction with these insiders here is that fruitfulness can't happen without Jesus' help. We always need Him. We don't, we don't ever outgrow the, the sustenance and the, the need that we have for Him. There is this ongoing reliance upon Him if we're going to be fruitful. And we see all of this demonstrated in these apostles. They had numerous failures. We're going to see them here in Mark. But they were helped by Jesus and they depended upon Him and they continuously embraced His Lordship. And in the long run, what happened? They were explosively fruitful. And we can and should see ourselves as evidence of their faith. We are part of the fruit of their work. So that's those inside, okay? Those inside, we're we're all going to be imperfect in our understanding. We're we're going to have weakness of faith, but if we have truly heard the Word, if we've truly followed Jesus, we will continue to move forward even when we fail. We will continue to depend upon Jesus, and there will be fruit. Now look at what the Lord says about those who are outside, continuing in verse 11. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear, hear with the head, and not understand, hear with the heart, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now these words, especially that last clause, lest they should turn and be forgiven. We may find this extremely troubling. Here's one thing that's true about these verses. They are not at all unclear. There's nothing to misunderstand here. Jesus taught in parables And he did so in a cryptic fashion intentionally so that those outside would not repent unto forgiveness. The Lord Jesus is reaching back into the Old Testament. He's reaching back to Isaiah chapter 6. And he's bringing forward here something that he himself said. That vision that Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6, John 12 reveals that Isaiah was seeing God the Son. So read read John 12, it's fantastic. So when Isaiah is interacting with the Lord on the throne and hearing that voice, he's hearing God the Son. So God the Son is reaching back to Isaiah 6, grabbing his own words, which was a word of judgment at the time, and now he's using it as a word of judgment now. This is a word of judgment. And so when God the Son back in Isaiah, he was coming to Isaiah and he's saying, look, you're going to go to the people and you're going to give them this message. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. And keep on seeing, but do not perceive. And why, was, why, why did God the Son give Isaiah that mission? Well, you can read the passage. You can read it in its whole context. Read the whole book of Isaiah. What you'll find is that it was a judgment to keep the rebellious from being forgiven. Now, we may wonder, why is that necessary if a person can't understand without it being given to them? In other words, in, in a person's natural state, they, they, they can't understand. So, so why not just leave them to that natural blindness and deafness? Why pile on this additional thing? Well, it isn't necessary, strictly speaking, but it is a judgment. It's a judgment before the judgment. And it's an implied warning to everyone else 
hearing these things. Now, we, we, could, think of, we could think of it this way. In our natural state, the, the only thing working against our coming to salvation is our own depravity. And that's not to downplay depravity. It's absolutely insurmountable to us. We cannot will ourselves to, to faith. We cannot will ourselves to repentance. God must overcome that for us and draw us to Himself. If He didn't do that actively, no one would come. Now that, that's just the barrier of our own depravity, our own deadness and trespasses and sins. But listen, remember, the gospel's a command. The gospel is a command and God deserves to be obeyed. The inability of the sinner to obey that does not absolve him of the responsibility to do so, nor does it relieve him of the guilt of failing to do so. That is everywhere assumed in the gospel, I'm sorry, in the Bible, and it is explicitly taught in, in numerous places. Romans 9 through 11 comes to mind, and, and 2 Peter 2, and, and the book of Jude. Inability to come does not relieve one of the guilt of not coming. Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10. They paint the willful rejection of the good news as the worst of sins, just, just an unconscionable provocation of God. And after concerted resistance to the gospel command, a person runs the danger of not just their depravity standing between them and God, but God's own active pushing them away as a temporal judgment for their refusal to the gospel, an omnipotent God will work against them to keep them from understanding, from perceiving, from heeding the truth, so that they will never come. It is like a judgment before the judgment. Now those outside at this point in Mark are those who have heard the gospel previously, but they've, they've persisted in unbelief. And, and we, should, we should immediately think again about the scribes and the Pharisees. They heard all this authoritative teaching. We've already recognized. They comprehended what Jesus was saying. And they've seen the leper cleansed. And they have seen all the miracles. They've seen the demons cast out. And what was their response? We've got to kill this guy. It was a willful rejection. They know the truth. They have experienced it in a sense. It's undeniable, and yet they turn away. And as a result, we're seeing here in Mark chapter 4, the truth will be all the more hidden from them. Now, as disciple makers, what should we glean from this? How should this inform our disciple making? We should be lovingly urgent in our sharing the good news. Lovingly urgent. When we have shared the good news with somebody, we should not share this with them as, as a, a good option for them. This is not something that you sleep on for a season. You don't wait for the stock market to turn. This is something that you obey. This is the God of the universe commanding you. You do this. Don't wait. It's dangerous to wait. And if you are that person, you're hearing the word this morning, and you're pushing back, the admonition is this, you must heed the word. I mean, if you're, if you're still wrestling with what to do with Jesus, do not wait another minute longer. Repent, trust, follow Him, 
today, to put it off, is to flirt with this potential danger of seeing blindness and hearing deafness, where the very mention of the good news in no way draws you to the Lord, but in every way pushes you back. If you're in that place, oh, I would beg you to read the, read the book of Hebrews today. Read the book of Hebrews from cover to cover and see if you don't find this kind of warning over and over. Now as we close, let's just revisit some of the things that we're taking with us, okay? In our disciple-making, we should be wisely persistent. That is, we, 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 we're not going to devote all of our time to those who are resistant to the gospel, but neither are we going to give up on them. We're going to persist wisely. We should be clear, specifically be clear about the cost of following Christ. We should emphasize Jesus. We should not allow anybody to think that there is, there is something in this package of the good news that is better than Jesus. We should not allow anyone to believe that Jesus is a means to an end. He's the prize, and, and we should emphasize Him. Now, another thing that we should note that we've not made explicit yet, but that has run through this, this whole message like a thread, is that disciple-making is a component of the fruitfulness brought forth by faith. Disciple-making is a component of fruitfulness. The follower of Jesus Christ does what He does, and Jesus makes disciples. And we do that by sharing the gospel with the lost so that they might be saved and ministering the gospel to the saved that they might be matured. Listen, disciple making is not an elective. It's not like a fourth year elective. or It's not graduate school for the Christian. This is baseline fruitfulness for every disciple. If you have heard the good news today, but you have not followed Jesus... What should you take with you? First of all, you should count the cost. You should know that that following Jesus is, is not going to be easy. But you should recognize that He is the great prize of the good news that you've heard. And when you understand that, there is no cost too high. There is no cost too high. Follow Him today in repentance and faith and pursue this life of enjoying Jesus and becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus does, which is make disciples, gathering other souls into the kingdom. If you have any questions about the things that you've heard, anyone around you would love to talk to you about it, but the elders also are available. I'm one. Pastor John is sitting at the back here. Pastor Jason is is out in the foyer. We, We would be happy to talk with you. Don't leave today with your questions unanswered. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for its clarity. We're grateful for Jesus and his tremendous patience with our lack of understanding and our, our weak faith and that he, he helps us. He stays alongside of us as, as demonstrated by his interpreting this parable for us. 
And we pray, Lord, that as disciple makers, you would help us to take the things that he's taught here and bring it to bear on our thinking as we pursue making disciples. Help us to be thinking through these things. Help us to, to, to share the gospel as Jesus does. When he sows the word, let us think about how he does it and do it just like him, taking this parable into consideration. Father, we pray that, that you would help us to be patient with those around us while expecting fruit. That we ourselves would pursue fruitfulness in terms of growing to be more like Jesus and growing in our disciple making. And Father, we lift up to you also those, those present among us who have not followed Jesus. Or per, perhaps as a result of this message, may realize that they were more like that second soil or that third soil than the fourth soil. Pray, Father, that you would just bring glorious and kind conviction to bear on their souls. Help them to feel the weight of their, their sin, the desperation of their situation, Father. Open their heart to see the truthfulness of what has been said this morning and to see the beauty, the strength, the wonder of the person of Jesus Christ, to prize Him above all things. Lord, please move them to repentance and faith and grant them, Father, then to bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.